All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya basketball podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Bancroft, and I'm joined here ahead of Georgetown's game on Thursday with DePaul by none other than we are DePaul, and I've got Steve Newhouse. This is this a big game, and it's a big game for probably reasons that Georgetown fans couldn't have predicted before the season. Uh, before we get into all of the non-game stuff, I want to just ask you, what did you think about Georgetown's first meeting with DePaul? And where do you see this game, particularly with uh, Freeman Liberty available? Yeah, that'll be interesting. Freeman Liberty's available where he wasn't the last time. But now the guy who had the triple-double against Georgetown, uh, Davy Jones, is questionable with an ankle injury. So, you know, we'll see, you know, come game time if he's going to play or not. And may, he may still be, you know, a week or so away from uh, returning. Kind of a, a mix there in and out of uh, players. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, he had DePaul went on the big run during the second half there that, where they pulled away. They're going to, you know, obviously look to try to do something similar here uh, in this next matchup. Uh, it uh, was Capital One Center. Is that what you call it there? Capital um, One Arena right now, but it has yeah. been MCI Center and the Verizon Center. Yeah, I know it probably most for Verizon Center. But. Oh, yeah, me too. That's like the good times. Yeah, but uh, obviously, you know, Paul's in, in the middle of a losing skid right now. and uh, But the, the games have been competitive, though. Like, I've actually watched a bunch of them. Like, you guys are sort of unlucky to be in this in this losing streak, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the last two Saturdays, he had an overtime game at Providence. And then, uh, you know, obviously a really close game uh, this last Saturday, too. So, yeah, they're trying to find a way to turn close losses into close wins there. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Obviously, DePaul's hungry for a win. Georgetown's hungry for a win. They need to get off the, the schneid here and get that first Big East win. And uh, I'm sure Patrick Ewing's doing everything he can to uh, coach these guys up and get them ready for that one. Yeah, um, and accept a, a well-deserved honor for him. But he was, you know, he he was – in Cleveland last night because he's one of the 75 all-time best players in NBA history, which is a big honor and he should have been there. But yeah, there's all kinds of things going on with, with Georgetown right now. And I wanted to, again, Steve Newhouse, and this is We Are DePaul on Twitter. I think it's a great follow. I guess it's wearedepaul.com um, is what I'm looking at on, on Twitter right now. And you guys are part of the 24-7 Sports Network, CBS Sports Network as well, which is a pretty cool thing, I think, for you know, the non-football uh, schools to still be going like that. So you guys have done a good job. It's not easy to keep this going, but I think it's a pretty good job. So hats off to you guys. So Georgetown to Paul. Right now, Georgetown is staring and 0-19. and It can't be 0-20. The Xavier game apparently is not going to be made up. They're staring 0-19 and in the face. We here at Casual Hoya at Kente Corner, we love Ken Palm. This is basically Georgetown's last shot at getting a win if you want to believe any of the metric sites for a long time fans have sort of been pointing towards the DePaul game like look we do get DePaul and I understand that kind of thinking maybe five six seven years ago this is a new DePaul team can you tell people what the feeling is around the program particularly with first year coach Tony Stubblefield because it's not nothing you guys are still in the mix for an NIT bid which matters when you've you know been struggling like like DePaul has like like Georgetown has. Yeah. 
Well, for them to get an NIT bid right now, they probably have to run the table uh, in, the, in these remaining five games here. Right now, they're 12 and 14. Yeah. So you need to try to get above 500 to be in consideration for the NIT there. Um, but, uh, you know, I would say it's kind of mixed feelings. Um, you okay. know, Tony W. Fields' first year. Um, and, you know, he's, he's had some losing streaks in there in the middle of one right now. But then, he, you know, he's had some injuries. He's had, you know, a few players who've been out for the year. So you got to factor that into it. There are signs that, you know, there's he's turning it around and got some good things going for him. With, uh, sorry, was he Auburn, someone that the fan base was happy to have come in? I mean, you know, Georgetown obviously is in a position where the fans are already kind of discussing, like, you know, if Ewing steps down or gets dismissed, who would they like? I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I wasn't, you know, I had my finger on the pulse of the DePaul coaching search. Was he one of the guys that the fan base was kind of like, we're cool with this. I think you had people who said we were cool with it. And I like it. You know, he comes from a good background here. He coached at Oregon, mm-hmm. you know, he coached at, at Cincinnati, you know, so he's got, you know, so a good background there, but then, you know, you got the people in the other camp who said, Hey, why couldn't we got somebody here with some head coaching experience? You know, why not hire a mid major? Okay. Uh, guy rather than an assistant coach um and you know here's somebody who's been you know pretty much an assistant coach his, his whole career he doesn't have any head coaching experience their first target was kenny payne another guy who oh, yeah. has zero head coaching experience uh so the expectation was they were at least going to get kenny payne and then of course he backed out of the search uh which left uh Dwayne pv kind of thinking well where do i turn now and he ended up turning to Tony Stubblefield, who in many ways was kind of similar to Kenny Payne in that he was working at uh, a big program, big name recruiter, guy who had been an assistant coach for a long time, who for one reason or another just didn't get that head coaching opportunity. So the two of them were kind of similar in many respects. Uh, so that, that's kind of how that all came about. You know what? Thank you so much for your getting my memory going. I definitely remember Kenny Payne and this is a new AD, right? Yes. I mean, obviously, you know, hiring men's basketball coach at DePaul is going to be basically your biggest thing that you do. Is this, you know, again, DePaul right now, 12 and 14, three and 13. I know my eyebrows went up when you guys got Louisville. That's obviously going to be a big deal. Is it, is it a 12 and 14? Like we're making progress right now or are people like, Hey, look, this is kind of the season Lato would have. Uh, I think you're getting it both. And yeah, definitely there's some, hey, we only got three wins in conference. You know, we could have kept Plato and, and had this kind of record. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely that. You look at it closer, though, you know, offensively, uh, the team that he has is um, better than what Lato was putting on the floor. Uh, and again, he's dealing with injuries here. You know, uh, uh, the last game, just seven scholarship players. So we're looking at potentially seven again on Thursday night for Georgetown. Wasn't a problem the first time. It wasn't a problem the first time. That's right. Uh, okay. Okay. So, I, so I was just you know, had that going for him too, which you have to take into consideration somewhat. Okay. Yeah, no, it's just, it's just interesting because there's so many, so many similarities between these two programs. And again, I am with Steve Newhouse um, at we are DePaul part of the 24 seven network. So like I said, 
Georgetown, and you said as well, Georgetown is just, you know, and Patrick Ewing trying to do anything they can for a win. If you've been listening to Kente Corner, you kind of know my age. You know that I sort of showed up as a, a young fan right around when Alonzo Morning. So that's kind of my level of expertise. Um, it's been established off the air here that Steve's a little bit older than me. So we both have, we, we both come from a view of knowing these programs to be in much better places than they currently are. And I don't want to take you to a bad place because you guys are having, like I said, I've seen you a bunch a fine season. I know the record's not where everybody wants it to be, but I feel like you guys are on the way up. That's the way I view it. That being said, can we go back to 2009 or is that going to be too painful? No, we can definitely do it. And I kind of braced myself and prepared myself for this conversation. Okay. So only two teams have run the table backwards in the big East 1994 Miami, which Leonard Hamilton got them to a great spot. He's obviously a really great coach. So you look at that and you say that's just part of growing pains. The other one was 2009 DePaul, which DePaul hasn't ascended to the level that Miami did following that um, closely thereafter. But what they both have in common is both Leonard Hamilton and Jerry Wainwright showed up to work the next year. They were still allowed to come back after going 0 and 18. And like I said, Georgetown's, you know, looking at 0 and 19. Do you, do, can you remember, I, I'm not sure where you were. I, I know Twitter for me, I think was kind of new at that point. Um, do you just remember what it was like, what the fan base was like as that season was kind of going the way that it was going? And do you remember how safe do you feel that Jerry was towards the end of that year? Cause he, he ended up coming back. He sure did. Um, which, yeah, that is kind of amazing that the two guys who did that, um, you know, both ended up coming back the next year, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. Uh, trust me, Georgetown fan base right now is trying to figure out in their head the gymnastics of how it's going to happen if, if that's the same fate that happens here. It's curious that you mentioned Leonard Hamilton. It's like, whatever happened to him? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's you look at him today, you would never really think that, you know, there was a year where he went 0-18 in the Big East. It's just incredible. But yeah. uh, and Jerry Wainwright did come back another year after that, uh, although it ended up costing him all his assistants. All three of his assistants, including his son, Scott Wainwright, were fired after that season. Well, I mean, something has to give, right? You can't, you can't bring the entire band back. Yeah, so I don't know. You know is Georgetown going to do something similar? You, you keep Ewing, he's going to fire Louis Orr and company? I don't know. I mean, it's really hard to read Georgetown. You know, I, I don't know the ins and outs of DePaul. Obviously, they both have the whole family situation with, you know, Thompson's and the Myers. But uh, um, I think in a normal world, Georgetown and Patrick Ewing would have already kind of gone through some assistance, just sort of the way college basketball works. Either you lose your assistance because you're doing really well and they get picked off to be coaches at smaller programs or you're struggling like they have the whole time he's been here. And you just kind of say, hey, I think I need you to go over here and I'm going to try this guy because it's not working. So I would think the problem with that would be, and I, I, that's actually, I might need to look that up and see who Wainwright got because it seems like it would be hard to bring in assistance after that unless you completely overpay them or they're in a spot where they need a second chance because you're kind of coming onto a sinking ship, right? Yeah. Yeah. He, he brought in some guys with some ties to Chicago. Uh, he brought in... Uh, uh, Tracy Webster um, yeah. and uh, um, Tracy ended up, of course, they fired Wainwright halfway through that next year. Right. 
And uh, so Tracy ended up becoming the interim coach. And I mean, not only did they go 0 and 18 in 2009, but they were winless in the Big East. Um, the following year, Tracy steps in as interim coach and he got them their one and only win in the Big East that year. And that was against Marquette, uh, which, you know, one in 17 is n- nothing to be proud of. But trust me, if you're going to get one win, it had better be against Marquette if you're a DePaul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what's, what's kind of crazy is, you know, Georgetown's 0 and 15. They're 6 and 20 right now, but they did beat Syracuse, which kind of feels the same way. Yeah. It, I was going to bring that up because, you know, d- that 09 DePaul team, I mean, not only did they go 0 and 18 in the they Big won the biggest tournament game, all right. They, their one saving grace was they did win that um, Big East tournament game against Cincinnati. That was the only win they had the entire season against a power five, you know, a high major team. Yeah. Even in the non-conference, they could not beat a single high major team. And so, I mean, that's probably a great trivia question, which is, you know, who's the only team that, you know, high major power five school to go the entire regular season without a win against another power five school and i'm sure depaul still <laughs> hold that record uh and at least you've got that win over uh syracuse so that's probably one thing that has kept uh, georgetown fans warm during these cold nights uh, that's for sure well and you know i was actually a little bit nervous in that they did the the official this is john thompson jr court naming on that day and you know georgetown's actually been a, they've, they've had the ability to ruin a couple Syracuse days I think like Carmelo Anthony day and Jim Beheim court day so it seemed like oh you know I get why you do it but you kind of put yourself in a bad spot but they delivered and that's probably going to be the entire um, banquet footage is going to be highlights from that game which was you know a pretty good game you got three Beheims involved and Georgetown did find a way to get past that you know when I kind of look at the coaches that DePaul has had particularly, you know, in the Big East era. Um, Wainwright is a guy that had great success at UNCW and Richmond. Um, Oliver Purnell had success at multiple spots. I remember when they got when they got Purnell, I was like, okay, look, he's probably not going to win a Big East championship, but he's probably going to get him on the bubble. That never happened. Um, you, you know, now you've got a guy that doesn't have any head coaching experience. And I should say, well, I'll just hold that for later, actually, about Lato part two. But sure. When you look at these coaching searches and the coaching hires, there's no there's no guaranteed way to do it, right? Because the guys that you got, you got the mid-major guy that did a great job in the CAA, and then you get Purnell who had kind of bounced around. You know, what do you kind of take away from these coaching hires and sort of what's your take on why they haven't worked so far? Oh gosh. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I, I understand that we don't have two hours, but just to give yeah. me sort of like the reader's digest version. Um, you know, you, you could, you could point to recruiting, you could point to coaching, you could say both. Yeah. It, it's definitely that. And, and maybe not, you know, not having the resources, uh, especially in the first incarnation of the big East, uh, you know, where you're going up against, um, the football schools. Yeah. You know, the Yukons and the Syracuses and the Louisvilles and all that. Uh-huh. You know, I took a look at that um, 0 and 18 season there in 09. And I think 
seven of those 18 games were against teams that were ranked in the top 25. The, the league was incredible. It was a brutal league. Um, and I don't think DePaul was prepared going into it. Um, you know, they did have some early success. You know, Wainwright got them to the NIT um, before things started to really fall apart there and then led to that 0-18 season. And, and the thing is, too, you look at the roster from that team, he had some talent on there. I mean, yeah. he did, you know, Dar Tucker, who ended up, you know, playing professionally overseas. He had Matt Koshwal, who ended up playing professionally overseas. Um, but they just weren't a very good um, cohesive team at all. And, you know, Tucker was probably one of the more selfish guys that ever put on a DePaul uniform. Um, so, you know, there was that in, in Wainwright's, you know, inability to, to try and get some cohesion there amongst that, uh, that talent that he had. Uh, so I think that's, that was the formula that led to <laughs> being going 0-18 that year. A lot of the Georgetown fan base, and I mean, I pointed out as well on here, is that Georgetown's never really had success without local players. You know, when DePaul joined the Big East, you know, Georgetown was one of those teams that was, you know, you just mentioned all those schools that left, the football schools, but, you know, Georgetown was in that mix for, you know, 10-year period there. And then the D.C. recruiting's really fallen off. And obviously you can recruit kids from anywhere and you can be successful, but it just hasn't happened here. Is that kind of what's happened has that been the you know the problem with DePaul? You hear so many things about the politics of Chicago recruiting. Is that one of the one of the similarities as well? Um, it's something. It's a theme that has been repeated over the years. Um, and saying, oh well, if you could only keep you know certain guys at home, if, yeah. If you only kept uh, Derek Rose. If you only could have had Jabari Parker. Um, you know all these names that have you know come through Chicago and then gone on to, you know. Anthony Davis, you know, gone on to blue chip programs like Kentucky and Duke and, and Derek Rose's case, Memphis, um, you know, so there, there is that theme uh, over the years, but then there's also the mindset, you know, let's just get some talent. We don't care where they come from. Yeah. Let's just get the talent you need to turn around and, and win it with. And um, that's where they're at right now with a guy like uh, Tony Stubblefield is, you know, it comes in with a reputation as a big time recruiter. Okay, let's go out and let's get the players that we need to be able to compete in the Big East. Like I said, I wanted to put a pin in it. Patrick Ewing still has his job. Um, we've all known he has an extension. It's finally kind of getting out there. The school has not officially put anything out there. That being said, in a world where he did lose his job or decided he didn't want the job anymore, you guys went Dave Lato. A second time i don't think john thompson the third would be interested i don't think i don't i think i'd be probably maybe one of the few people that would entertain that but can you kind of just tell me what happened with that or how that all came about yeah i mean that's just such a very unusual situation right it is very unusual <laughs> um, no doubt um especially when you look at some of the other candidates that they interviewed and who were finalists for the job. I mean, they, they brought back Lato and, uh, but they also had Bobby Hurley, um, Bryce, oh, wow. uh, in there as well. And we were going into that final round of interviews that final weekend. And, uh, you know, everybody kind of had their favorite. I think there were a lot of people who were 
in Bobby Hurley's camp. Uh, a lot of them were, were in uh, Bryce Drew's camp. And not a lot of people saying, yeah, we need Dave Lato back. Um, <laughs> definitely. Um, you know, at the time he's an assistant coach at Tulsa. Uh, wasn't exactly in demand, you know, for any head coaching positions, you know, after, uh, you know, he had been fired, uh, you know, from Virginia years earlier. And, right. uh, you know, he went to the G League for a few years. He was coaching with the uh, – uh, main team up in the uh, like I guess they didn't call it the G League at that point it was the D League I think it was the Red Claws or, or de- yeah the main Red Claws of the developmental league I think is what they were calling it at that time yeah. uh, and then you know he comes back into the college ranks uh, as an assistant coach uh, first in Missouri and then at Tulsa uh, wasn't exactly in demand but what he had going for him in that those final rounds of interviews was he knew the job um because he already had the job once before so it's kind of like having the cheat codes um you know to the interview and everything so of course he's going to interview well because he's been there before (laughs) and the people interviewing him know know him there's that familiarity there uh you know so gene lenny Ponsetto, who was the ad and dennis holschneider who was the president of the university you know they're interviewing the guy who had been there once already so they they went with the what they felt was the safe choice the familiar choice rather than taking a chance on a guy like um, Bobby Hurley who's just coming off of you know a big NCAA tournament performance Bryce Drew at Valpo uh, was was doing pretty well for himself right there too he had a reputation as a good defensive coach but that's where they ended up that's where things yeah And, and you know he did a good job and he left for a better job. You know, I'm just making, cause there are some people that throw out the JT three stuff. Again, I think, I think he would have no interest and I'm not sure the fan base would be interested in that as all. Uh, it'd be interested in that either, but you know, Lato got DePaul to the tournament. They won a game in the tournament in 2004. He left after going 20 and 11 and he left. He wasn't, he wasn't dismissed. So obviously different, but I just, I just wanted to bring it up. Cause it's like, man, you keep looking at all these different parallels. Another thing, you know, where Georgetown's struggling at and you know when you're doing bad you know fans don't come the arena situation at Georgetown's not very great win trust it seems like it's a pretty cool although the last game I watched was the Creighton game didn't seem like many people showed up no you're not seeing a lot of people showing up and um yeah especially you know there's been some where as luck would have it, there's a snowstorm, there's a blizzard in the night of the game. So people I think the announcers actually mentioned that during the Creighton game. Yeah. Uh, so you had that going on. You had the uh, starting at nine o'clock or eight o'clock um, uh, central, I guess, nine o'clock on, on, for the East Coast folks. Uh, so with having a late start in a snowstorm, yeah, we knew nobody was going to show up. You're lucky if you get 500 people there. Yeah. Um, so there's been that, you know, they've had some big crowds, but it's, you know, the oil game had a good crowd because there you get a good mix of no way fans want to see the Chicago rivalry, you know, yeah. Graduates from both oil and Apollo want to come out and see something like that. You know, the uh, couple of years ago, they had a really big crowd when Texas uh, came in, you know, they and they were, got a big win, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh you know, they came in as a top 10 team. They had been to the final four the year before, you know, that was pretty much a close to capacity type crowd. And 
doing real well. And then of course you get into conference play and things start going um, badly for them. And there goes all those casual fans you just gained. Casual. <laughs> we like it. And uh, yeah, yeah, definitely casual. Um, I mean, to be able, you know, similar to DC, Chicago's a pro sports town. Um, and you've got a Bulls team that's doing real well right now. You look at the Paul, one or the years that they drew the best in, you, well, it was during the years when the Bulls weren't doing well. Okay. Uh, but I mean, people do turn out for DePaul when, if you put a winning product on the floor. And yeah, it, just it is that simple, right? Back to that. Yeah, it definitely seems to be to be that simple. So yeah, no, it's definitely been great uh, trying to figure out what DePaul has done, what hasn't worked, what hopefully does work. Just a sense of the fan base. Like I said, I still think the Georgetown fan base feels like, well, you know, I think we should be able to beat DePaul. How is Georgetown viewed on the other side? I mean, it's got to be, does it feel like there's been like a, like a shift or that, you know, they're at least equals right now? Like what is your sense for how DePaul feels or how do you feel about Georgetown? Well, I know definitely looking at that first game um, until DePaul was able to start going on that run in the second half. Um, I think a, a lot of people were looking at it as that was pretty even uh, up until that point, at least. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, you got a, a pretty, uh, good freshman there in Muhammad. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he's definitely a guy who's, a you know, similar to, uh, Freeman Liberty, kind of a volume shooter, uh, volume scorer. You know, I, I think, you know, they look at it as being competitive, uh, definitely. Okay. Um, and nobody wants to be that team to be the first one to, to lose to Georgetown. <laughs> You've had some close calls there too. I'm sure, you know, where the other guys were going, who man, at least we weren't the first ones. So I think everybody's trying to avoid being that, being that, having that stigma of being the first ones to lose to them. For sure. Do you have any advice for the Georgetown fans out there that are struggling and trying to contemplate why are sports doing this to me? You've seen the great times at DePaul and you've seen them try and, you know, pick themselves up here for a while. What, would you lend to Hoya fans that are trying to figure out what in the world is going on? Yeah. I mean, uh, I definitely can remember that 0 and 18 season and, you know, I was at every single home game and covered all of those as well as uh, I think two road games that season. And uh, you know, you're at the point where you're just saying to yourself, make it stop. <laughs> and that's probably what you're going through right now. It's just make it stop, find a way uh, to, to just make it end. And, uh, and obviously, yeah, you are looking at Thursday night as an opportunity for that to come to an end. And you mentioned Ken Palm earlier. Yeah. Uh, what is he saying for this game? Has he got Georgetown winning? No, no. Georgetown is going to go uh, as underdog in every Big East game this season, but it's by far the closest. It's basically a toss-up. He's got DePaul 76-74 with a um, you know uh, 57% chance for DePaul. But, I mean, you know, their next three games after that, UConn 15%, Seton Hall 8, Xavier 8. It, I mean, I went up to the Villanova game to check out uh, the Pavilion since they've done the renovations, and it's unbelievable, by the way. But it, in a major college game, it was a 2% chance for Georgetown, which is, I mean, that's just, un, that's just unheard of. So, so yes, uh, Georgetown's likely going to be the underdog, but it's so close that it feels, you know, it feels like 
you know, this like it's it's kind of now or never. So he's got him going 0-19 then. He's got him going one and eighteen, but the chances of going winless are forty percent right now. So you know he it's you know basically it's all these probabilities and you know it doesn't it, even though he has him losing all the games you know the math works so it's like you get the one. But I have to imagine if DePaul beats him on Thursday, I think the, I think the probability of going winless is going to shoot up to the seventy some percent. So it, it's kind of it's kind of this <laughs> it's kind of this. It's, it's it's Thursday or nothing, which is probably how a lot of people are looking at it then. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, do, uh, real quick, go, going back, Wainwright, going, you know, after that season, how quick did the changes happen? Like, how quick was it announced, or, or was it announced that he's staying, which is a little bit surprising probably. Was he on an extension? I think he might have been. And how quick did the assistant juggling go? If you can remember. Um, all happened pretty quickly. Um, well, after they got the win in the Big East tournament at the Garden against Cincinnati, uh, they faced Providence in the next round. Yeah. It was immediately after that Providence loss where uh, DePaul's AD, Gene Lenny Ponsetto, uh, uttered the immortal words, Jerry is our guy. Okay. And uh, so saying he's coming back and you can imagine the reaction of the fan base. It's like, wait a minute, we just went 0 and 18. You're bringing this guy back. Um, and then it wasn't long after that, as we got into the off season that uh, I started to get word that the entire assistant coaching staff uh, was not being retained. Um, in fact, everybody was, was let go, including, you know, as I said earlier, uh, Wainwright's own son, Scott, uh, so word got out on that and then word got out, okay, they're going to go out and bring in some assistants who got some familiarity with Chicago, a guy like Tracy Webster, a guy like Billy Garrett, um, you know, they were brought in, um, you know, I, would love to say that strategy worked and they turned it around, but as you saw one in 17 in the big East, the year uh, sure. you know, next year there, and, you know, Wainwright didn't even make it through the year. So yeah, that's obviously not a, a good strategy or way to go. Um, you, you know, you go 0 and 18, you you need to, yeah, I uh, trying to retool or uh, move a change assistance is kind of like, you know, shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic. It really is. I get it. Sorry to bring back all those bad times, but like I said, you guys have a new coach. You guys have, you know, won a couple games. You got, you got the big Louisville win. And from where I'm sitting in the Northern Virginia area, it looks like DePaul, is in going up as opposed to down. So I don't want to, I don't want to bring bad vibes and bad mojo your way. I want to thank you again for joining on such short notice, Steve Newhouse at we are DePaul part of the 24 seven network, Georgetown DePaul, a big game for some interesting reasons. I hope everyone gives you a follow on Twitter. I'm going to put this out there and make sure that they do. I like to follow every, I'd like to follow at least one person from each, each of the biggie schools. And I think that you're one of the better follows out there. Steve, again, thank you so much. <laughs> no, I think I uh, just want to thank you for having me on Bobby. It was, it was great.